0: Paul would say in Galatians uh, chapter uh, 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. If Jesus crucified my old lifestyle, my old sin nature, my old man, he didn't resurrect it. God had no desire to resurrect what he is crucified what he has done is given me a new nature and a new reason for living not to promote self but to promote the glory of god not for me but for jesus and so jesus this word crucified means to be put out of business it's like jesus came to satan and said listen i know that greg used to be under your dominion he used to be under your control he he used to cave to you but i'm telling you you're out of business as far as he's concerned. I know that the wages of sin is death. But listen, I've, I've pulled him away from you before payday ever came. And therefore, he is a new creation in me. His old lifestyle is powerless. And the only reason I have power now is because the power comes not from me, not from willpower. Willpower is is shaky at best, but because God has now infused me with Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit he breathed into me and to you new life you have a new power source that you never had before and so maybe you can relate to this prayer dear God I I hope you're really proud of me today because you know I have uh, I haven't gossiped I haven't lusted I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy. I haven't been grumpy. I haven't been nasty. I haven't said any bad words. I've not been selfish. I've not been overindulgent. Now, Lord, in a few minutes, I'm going to get out of bed and I'm going to need your help to keep these things going, right? We can relate to that. We all struggle. We all battle with those things. I'm just here to say, you don't have to give into those things anymore. I'm not saying that we don't. I'm not saying that we don't battle. I'm not saying that we don't struggle. But I am saying that God has infused you with a new power source that enables you to walk in a different way and a different kind of life. When people say to me, well, but I am who I am. No, 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 no. You are who you choose to be. Every single day of your life as a follower of Jesus, you can choose to walk in God's will and his ways. You can choose to be a better person. You can choose to be the person God's designed you to be. You can choose to be the person that you want to be. But in your old lifestyle, you wanted to be better, but you just couldn't. You tried to be better, but it never worked. But now, he says, I know that I have with this new life in Christ comes a new power. How did Jesus conquer death? Resurrection. When Christ was resurrected, you were resurrected. You were raised to walk in newness of life. You were raised... Who resurrected Jesus out of the grave? The Bible says the Holy Spirit is is the power source that pulled him out of the grave. And so even the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 said, Man, I hope that God opens up your eyes and enlightens your mind to the fact that you have a new power source called the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit who will enable you to walk a brand new and different life. That's why it's called the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of self. That new power source begins to develop in you things like love and peace and joy and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and self-control, the things that you tried to produce in yourself but did not last for very long. And so, Christians, um, we have this resurrection power and this is where people always say to me, "No, hold on pastor, um, then why do I still struggle so much with sin? Why, why do I still struggle with these thoughts in my life that I, I really don't want to have and they're there? And why do I struggle praying? And why do I struggle staying focused in worship? And, and, and why do I struggle with the same old things I've been struggling with most of my life? And here's the reason is because for most of us, we live an in-between life. We live between death and life. We live between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. In other words, God has changed you fundamentally. The old man has been crucified with Christ. I don't that old lifestyle is powerless. I have a new power source. The problem is that new power source that is within you has to has to deal with the same old thought processes you've had all of your life. And so the Bible says if you want to experience transformation, it comes through what? The renewing of the mind. Not in New Year's resolutions, not in promises that I'm going to do better, not in willpower. He says it comes through the transformation of your mind because that is the battlefield your mind is the control center of your life. The way you think affects the way you feel that results in your actions. And so we still live as though we are enslaved to sin. Let me give you an example. Out of the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, which is the book of slavery, it's all about how the nation of Israel was enslaved to the Egyptians for 400 years. And Pharaoh, who was that demonic um, counterfeit king, ruled over God's people. And so he literally enslaved them. He abused them for many, many years. All of a sudden, Yahweh God shows up on the scene. And what does Yahweh God do? He says, I'm here to get my people out of here. He used a man named Moses to have that happen. And so God sent plagues against all the gods of Egypt. And God finally uh, brought Pharaoh to his knees and he let God's people go. And so they're out you know, up up against the Red Sea. And the armies of the Pharaoh are coming down on because Pharaoh changed his mind and said, you know what? I'm going to wipe him out. I'm going to take him off the planet. And so they're bearing down on the Israelites. They're praying out to God. And God opens up the Red Sea and he allows them to go through on dry ground. And as the Egyptian army is, is you know, after them, suddenly God closed up the the sea and drowned every one of them. So then now they're on a new land. They are, they are free from slavery. And now they're marching towards the promised land that God had promised, a land flowing with milk and honey. And as they come on the border of that promised land, all of a sudden, wow, uh, they sent spies in. There's giants in there. We can't take them. Therefore, we can't go in and take what God's promised us to have. And what do they do? Rather than living in freedom. They went back to their mindset of slavery. And so now, suddenly, God is going to make them wander this unbelieving generation for 40 years. What did they do while they were wandering? Man, the days in Egypt. So much better than this. So much better. The leeks, the onions... They forgot all about the years of slavery, the hard labor, the abuse that they, they experienced. And then they went even further. They start, you know, Moses is up on the mountain receiving the laws of God. And they're building golden cast of foreign gods. And they got so much involved in demonic worship. They began worshiping at one time the god of Moloch and offering their children as sacrifices. My point is simply this. God can set you free, but you need to live free. They were free, but their minds were still enslaved. They still saw themselves as slaves to Pharaoh. And they never lived out their freedom, even though they had it. And so when you say, I miss the old days, um, wow, if if you're not a slave, you, you can still think like a slave, and you can still act like a slave, even though you've been set free. So we're going to talk about this in Romans. Because those of you who are Christians, let me say this to you, you're, you are free. That means that behavior can stop, that addiction can stop, that lifestyle can stop, that brokenness can stop. There are a lot of things that can stop in your life that you've tried to stop on your own, did not happen. But I'm telling you, if you change the mindset, if you change the way you think, if you pull out the old records of the old narratives of lie-based thinking and put in the truth of God's word, put in the truth that Jesus... Jesus says it is the truth that's going to set you free because it is the truth that enables you to eradicate the lie-based thinking that you have been relying upon all of your life that has kept you enslaved to sin. And so when you become a new follower in Christ, the reason why you struggle is because you've not There's some things you don't know, right? You you, you thought you were a slave to sin. You were always going to be a slave to sin. And you're just going to muddle through and get through this life. Oh, I'm going to get through life. One of these days I'm going to go to heaven. God's going to make me a band-new creation in Christ and it'll all be better then. Listen, God's not waiting for you to get to heaven to start your transformation process. He started that process the day you gave your life to Jesus. So you begin to have the mind of Christ that leads to the character or the fruit of Christ that leads to living the life of Christ. We are imitators of Jesus. And so sin does not have to have mastery over you any longer. That's why the goal of Scripture is not about information. It's about transformation. It's not just thinking about Scripture. It is thinking Scripture. You want to overlay those old lie-based patterns of thinking with the truth of God's Word and begin living on what you know to be true, regardless of how you feel. Number two is to build an arsenal, then, of biblically-based convictions. An arsenal of biblically-based convictions. Look in verse um, 11. In the same way, you count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Jesus Christ, that word "count" is the Greek word "logizomai," leg, uh, which means logic, to calculate, to estimate something to be true. It is a conviction. A conviction is, um, it is a determined belief, something that you believe so strongly that it affects the way you live. You all have convictions about things. Now, they might be bad convictions or good conviction, right or wrong, but you have convictions. For example. It might be, ladies, your conviction is, no one entereth into my house with mud on their shoes. All right, so pity the fool who does that because they're about to receive the wrath of so-and-so. All right, that's, that's a conviction that you live by. Uh, it's a strong belief that goes beyond just believing. You, you, you believe it to the point of you're going to put it into practice. And so a conviction is what you hold on to. Contrary to what you believe, you cannot live contrary to your convictions. We all have them. What I want you to do is to build some biblically-based convictions that you hold on to that govern and control your life because it's based on the truthfulness of God's Word that's going to enable you to have mastery over those sin issues in your life that keep tripping you up and keep knocking you down. Right? So most people, most even believers, live more by their compulsions, the flesh, than by convictions. Here's what, here's what Paul says in Galatians 5: If you learn how to walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. If I teach you how to walk in the Spirit based on strong convictions, you're, you're not going to cave to the flesh when it's being tempted and uh, by the evil one, or by the world, or just by your own self. All right, so compulsions turn into addictions, what forms a slavery of desire. Compulsions are built on emotions. Convictions are built upon truth. Again, that's why Paul says, the only thing that can keep your mind from being conformed like a jello mold to the pattern of this world is by the renewing of your mind through the truth of God's word. Building an arsenal of convictions that you're gonna to need to draw off of every time sin is you're confronted with sin or temptation or you're wanting to the flesh is just like wanting to go back to the old ways of living, the old ways of life, even though you know that once you've done it, you're gonna feel guilty about it, you're gonna feel shameful about it, you're gonna promise God a thousand times you'll never do it again, even though you've you've made that promise a hundred times or more already. That's not how God wants us living. He wants us living, walking in victory, not in defeat. And so how do I do that? Our convictions and values come from either the society around us or our minds are being renewed by God's word. There is no third option. Our minds are bombarded every single day of our lives through advertisements, things that come across your news feed, things that you read, billboards, hear on the radio, a thousand different things. And so your mind has to filter, do I I build my navigational system on what the world's telling me, or do I build it on what, what God's telling me? Now, it doesn't mean that everything the world tells you is wrong or bad, But again, what Satan wants to do is to draw out what is wrong and what is bad and make that the default of your thought process because he knows it's going to affect your your feelings and your emotions and the the things that you do. So in Psalm 1, the psalmist makes a great contrast between two diametrically opposed forces. He says there's, there's no third option here. Either you're going to live under the influence of the world around you, primarily, because you're surrendering your your life to that, or you're going to surrender your life to the truth of God's Word. And he made a, a, a huge contrast as to the outcome of those two oppositions. I believe that sinful society and God's Word both have influence on us. But what determines which direction I'm heading towards sinful world or the truth of God's Word is determined by what I do with God's Word. If I just pick up my Bible once in a while, if it just lays on my counter in the backseat of my car, you grab it to come to church on Sunday, not having much impact and influence in your life. I'm just telling you, it's not. So if you just rely upon what you receive from me in this pulpit, week in and week out, to equip you with an arsenal of deep biblical convictions based on knowledge, eh, you're going to get a little traction, but you're not going to get a whole lot of traction. No, you need to combat... Everything the world's pouring into you every single day, you you need to spend time, the Bible says, meditating on God's word and chewing on it and mulling it over in your mind and making it a part of your thought process. And that thought process is the convictions that I'm building in my life. You're building an arsenal of truth based on convictions to war against the arsenal of untruth that's already in your mind and the false lies that Satan's going to confront you day in and day out. So you have to bring yourself under the transforming influence of the Word of God, and it is the reason by which we begin to develop these biblical-based convictions. So here's what, here's what I know about my grandparents. And maybe some of you, how many of you like you can things, like vegetables, fruits, you know, any of your canners? My wife and I did it for a while. So my grandparents used to can. Why? Because when there's plenty in the garden, you want it to last over the wintertime, you can it, right? And then you put it away, you store it up for future use when it's wintertime and you can't have it in any garden. My wife and I decided we were going to start canning because we lived in Alabama at the time. People were just bringing the stuff all the time. So we had a pressure cooker. And so I had green beans in that pressure cooker, and that thing exploded. I mean, green beans all over the ceiling of the the kitchen. It it was an absolute mess. I gave up canning. However, here's what the psalmist says. Psalm uh, 119.11. I have, God, I have hidden your word. I have stored up. I have canned your word up in my heart so that I might not sin against you. That word hidden doesn't mean to conceal its location It means to store up more accurately, to treasure up so at the moment it is needed for application, it is ready to go. This is why when Jesus was in the wilderness fasting 40 days, Satan comes to him, tempts him. What had Jesus done all of his life? He has stored up, he has hidden the word of God on the base of the truthfulness and the knowledge of God's word. He formulated his convictions based on that truth that governed and directed his life. So when Satan comes up and says, well, if you are the son of God, why don't you tell these stones turn into bread? And what did Jesus do? He took what he had hidden, what he had stored up in his heart, and he made application at that moment in time against sin and temptation. And he says, but the word of God says, and he quotes a verse, and it's not just a verse he quotes just to be quoting it. It is a verse that he's based the conviction of his life upon, and he refuses to cave into the wishes and the desires of the evil one who's tempting him. Does that make sense? So you're building this arsenal so that when Satan comes at you, listen, he has studied you all of your life. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your patterns in life. And he knows, he knows the, like the loophole in your life. And he's going to come at you from all different directions. So you had better build up an arsenal. Because when you start having victory in this area of your life, guess what? He's not going to stop there. He's going to move over here and move over here. And then he might loop back around to where you thought you had victory. But then uh, maybe all of a sudden now you're not having victory anymore. You've got to build this arsenal. And then number three is you resist the lie or the temptation of Satan by acting on the truth of God's word. You act on its truth. He says in verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Now I want you to look what, what what's happened here. Anchoring has to do with your mind, right? So building this arsenal has to do with your emotions and then resisting has to do with your will, the part of you that makes decisions. What what makes up your mind, your emotions, and your will? The Bible calls it your soul. Your soul is in battle. And when you were without Christ, your soul was trying to battle against the evil one with no power source. But now that you're in Christ and the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit resides inside of you through the person of the Holy Spirit, now I'm not fighting alone. Watch this. The Bible says that we are made up triune as because God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. In three essence, we are spirit, soul, and body. We're not body, soul, and spirit. Spirit, soul, and body. So the spirit of God entered into you, your power source, who seeks to live himself out through your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, and then ultimately out through your body. It's not about changing what's around me. It's all about changing what's inside of me. And this is the project of God in your life. It's called sanctification. All of your life here on planet Earth, the Holy Spirit is conforming you to the image of Christ. And the battlefield is your mind. And if you don't get hold of that, although you're free, you're going to live like a slave. But you don't have to. God has done much, much more for you than that. And so you can either fight or you can surrender. Let me just give you an example of this. Um, my wife and I have a book called Married Sex. And it's based on a couple who have um, actually a seminar because there are so many couples, even Christian couples, who really struggle in this area of sexuality. Now, you think that wouldn't be a problem, but it is. It's a big problem. And so they have a podcast where um, a, a person who is a therapist is helping a couple navigate through their problems. Now, here's why what, here's what I'm mentioning this. Every single one of them, the reason they're having problems sexually as a couple is because of the false narratives, lie-based thinking they developed all the way back in childhood that is causing the problems they're experiencing in the present. And once that gets uncovered, and once those lies are you know confronted with truth then all of a sudden things begin to change in their lives because they've changed the way they're thinking which changes the way they're feeling which ultimately ends up changing the way that they're acting every single one without exception and this overlays in every single aspect of your life so, here's a couple of things I'll just throw out there when it comes to temptation. Maintain proximity. What I mean by that, if you know that there's an area, a location that you go to that you become susceptible to sin, uh, hello, why are you going there? What are you doing there? And, and, and I tell people all the time listen, when, when you know there's areas that you are temptable in, you need to look at, like, where am I? Who am I with? Maybe I'm by myself, maybe with other people. You know, how am I feeling? Am I feeling bad about myself? Am I feeling defeated? Am I feeling angry? Am I feeling anxious? I mean, all of these things play into your flesh that makes you susceptible and open to Satan's temptation and to that, that rod of sin that he's, he's putting out in front of you. And so you have to look, what, what is your proximity? I mean, You know, there was a four-year-old boy a couple years ago named Isaiah Dickerson who was at the Cincinnati Zoo with his family, and he crawled under the, um, the fencing that got him into the gorilla habitat. Like the outdoor, remember he fell in there and he was out cold and there's a gorilla that came up and just kind of, you know, hovered over him. And of course the parents are freaking out. Everybody at the zoo is freaking out. Why? Because, you know, they don't know what this gorilla is going to do to this kid. And, you know, is he going to beat him against the, a rock? Or, and so, you know, obviously the authorities are are called. A, a split decision has to be made. And so they decide to take out the gorilla. And so they put the gorilla down, which caused, you know, huge uproar uh, but they had to take out the gorilla because this young man was inside the enclosure of a dangerous animal. This is what sin is, man. Sins like zoo animals. You crawl under the fence, you make your way into the enclosure where you don't should not be. I'm telling you, you're putting yourself in arm's way. And if you think you're going to have the willpower? Because the more, listen, the closer you get and the mind begins to like play tricks on you and, and all of a sudden you're not, listen, once your emotions kick in, your mind is not even thinking clearly anymore. And so you, 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 you just need to, man, you need to, here's my second one, you need to cut off the opportunity. You need to be like Joseph with Potiphar's wife. You just need to run. Sometimes you just need to run. You say, well, but, but I, I, in this situation, I can't run. Well, you better run mentally. You better run somewhere other than where your mind is taking you, because if you don't, once your emotions lock in, you're done. So you better have an arsenal of truth-based convictions that you're going to bring up in your mind, and you're going to allow that to seep into your emotions as you are facing this temptation that is in front of you. Here's number four. Surrender your body to God daily as a living sacrifice. Surrender your body daily to God as a living sacrifice. The word surrender equals freedom, right? Surrender equals freedom. Surrender your eyes, your mind, your hands, your feet, your body. Your your entire, every aspect of your body can be either a tool or it can be a weapon, right? So your mind, what do you allow to flood into your mind all week long? You better put some guards up. Paul says in Philippians 4 8, listen, let your mind think on that which is true and lovely and noble, because our minds are being bombarded all the time. You need, to, you need to guard what you're allowing your mind to dwell on. All right, if you're dwelling on just being unhappy in your marriage, but there's a young lady in your office who's really paying a lot of attention to you, where do you think your mind's taking you? Men? Uh, an affair? Wonder what it would be like with her. And all of a sudden the mind goes, the emotions go, then conversations start and then a full out affair over time. This is the way, yeah, run, right? So this is, this is the way it happens. This is the way it all comes down, cascading around us. What about your eyes? What do your eyes look at? What, what impure things are you looking at? Are you filling your eyes and your minds with pornography? Not going to go well. What about your, your tongue? What about your mouth? What do you say? What do you speak? James says that our tongues are so lethal that can create a forest fire. The Bible says that our tongues are so lethal that the power of life and death are held in our tongues. My point is simply this, every single day you are to surrender. Bible says in Romans 12:1, to offer your body as a living sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing unto Him, so that you begin to live in the freedom that God came to give you. What is the freedoms that He came to give? Number one is the freedom to change, the freedom to be different. He says in verse 15, shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Well, by no means. All right? So... You know, before I was, I was dead in sin. I had no power. I had no authority. I had no ability. I, I wasn't free. I was, I was enslaved to everything. Jesus came to make that change within me. Now, when I was enslaved to alcohol and drugs, you know, after I got saved, I still was battling that, and I finally came to a, a moment of surrender in my life, and I remember coming in the, down the church aisle and falling on the, my face at the altar, and I'm just weeping before the Lord and asking God that, that he would help me with this in my life, and God, in a very powerful and supernatural way, lifted that off of me, and I immediately lost, lost the desire for either one of those things as a means for coping with life. Now, there are some things that God does supernaturally. There are some things you have to fight for. There are many things I've had to fight for for most of my life, and and some some things right up to this point. But I'm telling you, when I look at my life, when I was a 16-year-old, as opposed to where I am today, not even close. Not even close. I'm not where... God wants me to be fully. I'm not all that God wants me to be, but I'm. I've made a. I've made a long. I've made a long journey. Number two is you. There's freedom to do God's will, and you can read these verses. I'll just hit a couple of them. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? And so, for example, if you're enslaved to 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 approval, like you're an approval addict, like you got to have everybody's approval this is what makes you feel safe and secure in life. Can I just say this? You're going to be ex- constantly experiencing things like self-pity and envy and hurt feelings, and you're going to be all over the map, right? If, if you are enslaved to success, you're, you're going to experience drivenness and fatigue and worry and fear. There's all kinds, if you make those things your bottom line, there's all kinds of enslavement that comes attached to that, is my, is my point. And so what God wants to do is he wants you to follow God's will. He wants you to be able to follow God's will, not, not the will of the flesh, not the desires of the evil one, and not desires of the world that will seek to enslave you in its own um, measure of sin. Then there's freedom to choose my own master. Verse 19, I, I put this in human terms because you're weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever increasing wickedness. So now offer them to slavery to righteousness, leading to what? To holiness. That word slavery does not mean forced slavery. Uh, in the Roman Empire, if I was poor and I had no means to care for myself, I could go to someone and say, Listen, I'm going to become your slave willfully, out of act of my own will. And you, you will make provision for me and I will serve you. And this is what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about civil war kind of slavery where it's, it's forced upon you against your will. This is somebody who comes up and says, this is what I want to do. And so before I got saved, I had no mastery over self. Man, I caved. I don't know about you. I mean, I promised to God a thousand times I wasn't going to smoke another joint. But then the minute I got around my brother-in-law and he pulls one out, it's like, oh, dang it. I had to do that. Right? So I, I was I was still enslaved even though I was in Christ. And, and so freedom, surrender. I'd never really come to that moment in my life that I absolutely surrendered everything. And in that surrendering, I said, you know what? I, I'm going to start. I'm going to start taking what I know to be truthful and I'm going to anchor in that and I'm going to build convictions on that and I'm going to build an arsenal and I'm going to resist the sin and the temptation that is confronting me on the basis of my convictions that is built upon the truthfulness of God's word and I'm not just going to believe it, I'm going to act upon it and I'm going to live it out and so God, I'm surrendering myself to you in this moment, in this time. Freedom to choose your, your own master. And then he ends up by saying these words, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And certainly we know that sin ultimately leads to death. It leads to spiritual death. It leads to physical death. It can lead to eternal death. But Paul here is addressing Christian. And so um, even though that is applicable to the unbeliever, what Paul is simply saying in that verse is this. You've got a choice to make in life. You've got to choose who's going to be your master. You've got to choose who you're going to follow. What he's referring her to here to is brokenness in life. James said this, um, when our desires give birth to sin, then sin gives birth to death. It can be the death of your conscience. It can be the death of your reputation. It can be death of a relationship. It can be the death of a lot of things. And so James says, as Paul says, how do you want to live? Because sin is a master who always pays on time and in full. So you get to choose. Do you want to live in brokenness because of sin that leads to death, or do you want to live in blessing to live in grace that leads to life. Amen. The choice is up to you. Let's bow our heads together. Jesus, um, our, our minds are blown, uh, our hearts are filled, and our hope is lifted because we are new creations in Christ, in you. God, we live in a world that, that has taken away or restricted a lot of our freedoms, but Lord Jesus, thank you that there is freedom within us That cannot be taken because it's a freedom that you have given to us. And you've instilled within us through our power source, the Holy Spirit. And so we thank you that that freedom cannot be restricted. That freedom is only made possible by our new master, Jesus. And Jesus, we just believe that you're you're a better master than anyone or anything. And you are a better Lord than we are. And you have a better plan. You have better gifts. And though we don't deserve your forgiveness, we don't deserve your grace, we don't deserve your mercy, these are the gifts that you have come and offered to us. And so I pray for those, Father, who need to open up their hearts today and to receive those gifts. We know we don't deserve the relationship, but we receive it. We know we don't deserve eternal life, but we receive it. We know we don't deserve righteousness, but we receive it. Lord Jesus, I pray now that you will change our hearts, that we would know the love of our master and that we would obey him because he is good and he is right. He's loving and kind and wise and faithful. Lord Jesus, in light of your glorious grace, we surrender ourselves to you today. We lay down our lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto you. we commit ourselves to no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed through the renewing of our minds that we might understand and know what your will is, your good and perfect and glorious will. I pray for your church to be radically and dramatically transformed because we are surrendering our hearts on a daily basis to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I pray for those who need to receive Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, that today they will open up their hearts and acknowledge their sinfulness to him and receive him, ask him to come to be their Savior and their Lord, the one who forgives sin, the one who enables us to live new lives. God, I pray that you'll plant their feet on that pathway that leads to your reign of grace and your eternal life. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Let's sing as we close out our time together in worship and honor to what the Lord has done for us.